0: Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the give Getting into God's Word, I have been preaching in Acts. Brett covered for me last Sunday, which in our, our sermon series of the the way that you do things the right way is the way of Jesus Christ. Now, the early church was known as the people of the way. That's sort of an early title given to Christians. And it comes from this John 14, 6, people of the way, okay? Now, Quick review, I've been using sort of uh, bedroom uh, examples that you can have a very messed up bedroom and you go, I need to clean things up. That's kind of the illustration we're using with your heart, right? Clean things out of the mess in your heart. And in order to do that, you gotta do things the right way. So if you want your bedroom, does this give anybody nervousness? I mean, this kind of makes you anxious. Like this is the not made bed, the rug, the stuff all over the place. Uh, Go ahead, give me the next one. This is what it should look like, right? This is the clean bedroom this is where you have a made bed and you put your clothes away and we don't have it right now so everybody just has to tolerate that the mess is in the you know' to, to just going to make you nervous okay uh, Beck you can actually go to the first one I'll just stay off of John 14 6 then so oh you do have the other ones so then I did uh, the first sermon was uh, Acts chapter three we're going to go through the odd chapters uh, I can't cover all of Acts but the first story was Acts chapter 3 and Peter and John are going to the temple and they meet the lame man and the lame man is looking for silver and gold, money to receive. But here's the thing I challenged that that was wanting that every day. And I said, you know what? One of the things we need to do is we need to, to start being hopeful rather than just being helpful. And so Peter and John, Peter looked at the lame man and said, hey, money, silver and gold I do not have, but what I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And I said, we have a culture today that everybody's looking for a hand out rather than a hand up. But the lame man's life was changed forever being healed, right? So that's, that's my response to you is that be hopeful. And if you've seen Admiral McRaven's uh, message, uh, to the graduates of Texas, he said, you know, the first place you can start is make your bed. As soon as you get out of bed, you've already created chaos in your life. Look at the bed. It's a mess. If you want to put your life together, make your bed. It'll It'll say in a way there are things that can be hopeful about today. And then I encourage you at the end of the day, that same made bed, put your knees into the carpet, put your elbows into the mattress and pray. One of the best ways to be hopeful is to prepare for that hope, what you want God to do, what you want to do, Prepare in prayer. And then I talked about Acts chapter five, and the first lie in the church was Ananias and Sapphira. And I said, you know what, we really should tell the truth. And telling the truth is not sweeping things under the rug, it's sweeping them out from the rug. Sweep under the rug so that everything comes out. The Ananias and Sapphira is a story where they sold property and they brought some of the money, but they told Peter it was all of the money. And Peter said, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? The issue wasn't about how much money they give. The issue was the fact they lied about it. They were entering deceit into that fragile early church. Peter says, how can you do such a thing? You're not lying to us, you're lying to God. So I would invite you to consider the spirit of truth. It is very easy to rationalize, to leave certain information out, but God wants us to be transparent. So if there's stuff that is in your life that you're sort of hiding from the people you care about, figure out how to have the courage. What I said, eat the frog. Just do hard things and let those things come out because it is so much better to be free from those misconceptions, right? Now last week we didn't have it. Uh, I did a sermon. Uh, I went to uh, Panther Academy, so I had this third part of the sermon. If you get a chance to read Acts chapter 7 is the stoning of Stephen. And my encouragement to the people of Panther Academy is Stephen drew a line on the sand of which he would no longer be pushed beyond. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of a, of a foreshadowing of today's sermon, but too often we think everything is about being combative. Rather than sometimes there is a passive resistance. That's actually what it says in Revelation. What John says, Jesus is telling the church, I want this active passive resistance. I don't want you to be violent, but I want you to make sure that when the time is necessary, you don't keep giving up ground to this relative culture that we live in. And finally, Stephen in that early church said, enough, let me tell you who Jesus is. And the early leaders of the religious law, they didn't like it, they lied about him, and then they stoned him. And as difficult as that is to hear, so many of us don't ever have that kind of risk in our lives, but you know the moment where you have to speak up. It is very easy to not, to step around, to pass by, to not deal with, and I would invite you to be the lampstand. Church, we are not going to be under a bush, oh no. I'm going to let it shine. We're to be a city on a hill. Our faith should ring out. We should have people take notice of how we live. And sometimes that includes when darkness is pressing in to be a lampstand to the light of Jesus. Okay. Today, I want to talk about be a scout, not a soldier. Help God find the lost. I don't know about you. Has anybody ever wondered what happens to the other sock? Like, I don't know where they go. I love, Jerry Seinfeld does a great thing on this. He has a little spiff, uh, a little spoof on it where he talks about uh, how does the other sock disappear? He thinks that it gets, it finally gets to the dryer and it's like, it can break free. Socks spend their whole lives in shoes and drawers. It's stinky. It's miserable. But when you get to the laundry, man, you can, you can make a break for it, Right. You can sort of not get in there, get shuffled out. He goes, I walk down the streets of New York, and he sees a sock. He goes, how do you find a sock in the middle of the sidewalk? And he's like, they're escaping. I don't know where the pairs go. I don't know how it happens. I was so obsessed in college. uh, I haven't done this really since because it made holes in them. I actually took uh, pins, and I pinned them together so that they would not lose the pairs. I never lost a pair, but my fat toe would come out of the sock after a while because of the holes that would be created by it, so... I know you may not know where you're at in life. I think a lot of times we feel like that lost suck. I'm going to give you a big cosmic aspect of the story. In Genesis, God created humanity. This is really a remarkable story that most of us just narrow in on because of a wedding or a special moment that we think about it. But in Genesis chapter 2, God says... For this reason, a man will leave his mother, husband, mother, and father and be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. They'll be paired together. Pair of socks. They're meant to be together. Now, I could wear a different sock, but if anybody knows my CDL, I can't wear two separate socks. That makes no sense. There's a pair that was made, and they go together. God wanted this to be about humanity. Now think about this. This is God saying this about all of humanity. In Ephesians 5.32, Paul says what God was saying about a husband and a wife, he meant to symbolize Christ and his church. And again, by Christ and his church, we become the church and we have children in the church. And God wants us to, to baptize, right? To be reborn, to tell the story of rebirths and more children being brought in to that right fellowship. And the reason I go back to the beginning of Genesis is because Adam and Eve are the parents of all humanity. So I got news for you. When you look out in the world and you see the lost world and you want to go ahead and ostracize and say, ah, that's, that's on them, God says, no, but that's with me. Every human being that I agree with or don't agree with. The ones I like and the ones I don't like are all a part of what I want as a partnership, right? The intimacy of God with humanity to be fully present with us. But Paul pointed it out in Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death and separation. We separate ourselves from God. Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and he said, hey, this is how you can be reunited with me and with the Father. And we all love that story, but here's the thing. Then Jesus ascended into heaven and said, hey, I want my spirit in you, and I want you to go help find the lost. What does the lost look like in your life? Sometimes it's experience. Sometimes it's things and mistakes you've made along the way. Uh, I was a junior in high school and I got my driver's license, so it was late. And then it took an extra month because I was at my third high school, so it took a little while. I finally got it in October, and one of the first things anybody wants to do when you get your driver's license, especially guys, right? Like, we want to go pick up a girl and go on a date. Like, that was what I was looking forward to. I had to do all the group dating things. Like, it was weird as a junior having to call my buddy and say, hey, are you guys going out? Can I, can I go out with you? Can I hang out? I was totally lost, though. As a junior in high school, I asked one of the girls if she wanted to go out. It was my first... I think it was like November and it snowed and it was icy and it was nasty. But I'm like, ah, she said, yes, I'll go pick her up and we'll go out on a date. And I get to do this. But I got lost. I couldn't find her house. I had no idea where she lived. And when I finally think I got the right street, I pulled in on my dad's new Chrysler medallion. That was the car he bought at the time. And I pulled in to the cul-de-sac. And as I was going, my car didn't turn straight. It just kept sliding. And I put it into the ditch. I'm picking up. My first date and I'm in the ditch. I get out of the car, I go around, go into the ditch, not thinking the fact that when you step down into a ditch full of snow, what's under the snow? Slushy water nasty. I am soaked up to my knees. This is also a bad idea. I decided in order to get the car out without anybody knowing, I put it in reverse, went out to the front of the car and I pushed it so it would go and it would, and then you all know what happened? It went out. In reverse, it went into the other ditch. So I got out, went around the car. This time I put it in neutral, neutral. Okay, so now you know. Don't put it in drive. I figured that out. I put it in a neutral. I pushed it. I did manage to get it out. I'm absolutely soaked. I find out that I go to the next house over, and that's their house. I knock on the door, and the mom answers the door. She says, oh, come on in. And I'm going, how do I tell her I'm dripping wet? I'm an utter mess. So I, I sneak in. I, they have an island in their kitchen. I am right behind the island so everybody just sees like the you know TV commentator. That's all I, I'm hiding. Hey, yeah, can we go? Can we go? I don't know how to do anything on this date. I am an absolute mess. We go out to eat first. And I order like the biggest because I ate everything. She ordered a salad. And I must have eaten like a Neanderthal. <laughs> I remember getting done. This is how bad it was. I'm like, oh, the movie doesn't start for an hour. What do you want to do? So we sat there, sort of talked. I like making conversations. That was fine. I think we figured that out. Then we went to arachnophobia. By the way, that's a movie about spiders. And I'm not so bad with spiders. But if you go to see the movie, I don't like scary movies. I, oh, I screamed like a banshee. And she, I'm sure, is like, who's this, who is this guy? Okay, now you all know how lost you get on that first date. How, how bad is this to this point? We're driving, I'm driving her back home, and yes, I'm hoping I don't put it in the ditch, but what's the other thing I'm thinking about? How do you say goodbye? Right? It's first date. Do you, do you kiss him goodbye? And then this is really bad, because my, you know, my brother had to teach me about kissing. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to do all that. And he's like, well, it's easy. You can either do the prune or you can do the peaches or alfalfa. <laughs> and I go, I don't know how to do any of it. I just know that if I let her out, I let walk her up to the house and I'm like, so we get up there and I do the dumbest thing. I don't know why I thought of this. And I'm like, I leaned in to give her a hug. Right? I'm like, well, maybe that's the thing to do. She leaned in for a kiss and hit me square in the nose. Worst date ever. I was totally lost. I had no idea what I was doing. Guys, sometimes that's what we have to admit. Sometimes we just have to put it out there and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I have leaders that will say that. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. That's a starting point. But how much more is it when we feel lost spiritually? Some of us have done the lying or we've been manipulating or we've been hiding or we've projected our frustration at work onto our children or we've projected our ego onto our children at sporting events and we're screaming and it's louder than life because fourth grade baseball is so life important when really we're just saying don't make me look bad. I need you to be good so that people are proud of me. Those are all things that that leave us lost. They're telling us, as most parents would say, I don't know how to do this. It didn't come with a manual. This is my first time, or my second time, or my third time. How do you do this? How do you do this marriage? How do you do this job? How do you do this life? Well, I got news for you. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, I want you to help me save the lost. You've heard me reference it before. There's two rules. Once saved, well, you know, the the two rules, help God save the lost. Rule number two, once saved, refer to rule number one. Rule number one, help God save the lost. Jesus ascended. and He said, I give you my spirit. Go save the lost. Rule number two, once saved, refer to rule number one. Most people say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to do that. I got news for you. In Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 starts out telling us Saul was the one standing over when Stephen was being stoned. Saul was a zealot. He was, he was an absolute after-Christians. It said he wanted to find them. He wanted to arrest them. He wanted them in chains. It says, go to Damascus, get them. He put letters out. He said, everybody, everywhere, who is a zealot, a Jewish, we keep our religion sacred and anybody who comes against it, we arrest. That was Saul. He approved of Stephen, the stoning of Stephen. But then he's heading towards Damascus to get those Christians who are going to be arrested, he presumes. And Jesus meets him on the way. And most of us know that passage where Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, Lord... And Jesus says, basically, I don't want this anymore. I want you to do what I ask you to do. Stop persecuting me. Start serving me. Now, I want this emphasis this morning. Saul went from being a soldier to being a scout. This is a real challenge for us as Christians. We all want to be soldiered up. But Saul was a soldier for the wrong reasons. He wanted to attack rather than persuade. Now, we used to have songs like this. You guys remember the the army Christian songs? Onward, Christian soldiers, marching into war. Right? We know that one. Um, I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. Wait. I may never march in the infantry, shoot ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Right? I remember those as a kid. Here's the thing that I, I, I'm just challenged by, is it so often that's, more our reaction as Christians is how do we submit someone to God's way rather than how do we persuade and here Jesus is encountering Saul who is a soldier going after Christians who might be a threat to Judaism catch that Christians catch that Sometimes we're zealots about our faith for the wrong reasons. It's really to serve our insecurities than it is to care about those other people. And remember, who are those other people? Let's go back to Adam and Eve. Those other people are our brothers and sisters. Every one of them, every human being that has the spirit of life that has created Imago day in the image of God. They may be lost, but they're the ones God wants found. They may be wrong, but they're not for us to go and attack they for us to go and convince. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, right? That we might win some. To the Greek, I will speak Greek. To the Jew, I will speak Aramaic. To the lost, I will speak what will get them to understand. Jesus says to Ananias, so Paul, Saul is blinded after Jesus. His, the people with him will lead him. And ahead of him in Damascus, Jesus gives a vision to Ananias, a Christian, and says, hey, Saul's coming to Damascus. You can imagine Ananias going, seriously, that guy? The one who's been persecuting and, and stoning? You want me to go say hi to him? And he goes, yeah, he's, he's going to be my—he tells Ananias in 9.15, he's going to be my instrument to the Gentiles, to rulers— Basically, Paul was going to be my messenger to the lost. It is really important to God that we find the lost. Anybody ever felt like, you know, um, you put two different socks on, it doesn't seem to make the most sense? They just fit, don't they? Saul was commissioned to go out and find that partnership that was lost. A God has uniquely designed each of us that when he's with us, comes so close to us that we are intended to work with him. Saul was commissioned to go figure that out. You know it in the prodigal son, suite the son that goes to a far country and is lost. In the same chapter in Luke 15 is the lost sheep. And Jesus says, what shepherd would not leave the 99 who will be safe together to go find the one lost? That you would be, that we have unity with God. That we are in union. We are in communion with God. so, Am I asking you to be like Saul? Are you gonna go plant churches? Are you going to feel the commission? Are you going to be in some sort of ministry? And you go, that just doesn't seem to be me. Every one of us is called to help God save the lost, but we do it in our own unique way. God knows how to use you right where you are. For Saul, it fit perfectly. Saul was from Tarsus which was a Greek community. It was also Roman citizens. Mark Antony made uh, Tarsus a free city in 67 BC. That means that they didn't have to pay taxes and automatically anointed everybody in the city to be Roman citizens. used to be something you had to earn, something you had to buy. The centurion who says, hey, I had to buy my citizenship and it cost me a great deal. Paul says, I was born into it. I was born in Tarsus. I was allowed at birth. But then it says he went to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly, but he came to Jerusalem. He says in Acts 22, he learned under Gamaliel. 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 He was a Jewish leader. He was on the Sanhedrin. Paul learned Judaism. He learned the law. He learned the Bible. Here he was a Roman, Greek, citizen and also a devout Jew so when he became a Christian God used him to speak to the Greek to the Jew to the Gentile how does God use you where are you at oh man but I don't know if I can be a Saul again a little later in life in all those first stories it seemed to be something I had to struggle through I was blessed. Uh, I was not a great athlete, but I was a determined athlete, and I went to college. What I didn't know is in high school, you start basketball in October, you start games in November, and it lasts a couple of months. As soon as I got to school, we had to be there early. In fact, I had no idea why we'd have to be there for basketball earlier than the rest of the, the student body. We get there, and we start in conditioning for a month. All of September is conditioning. All of October is practice, and then we start basketball games in November. I was only 17 when I graduated high school. I went to college as a 17-year-old. I'm a year behind. And I look at it. I'm kind of like a, just a, I'm just a widow guy. I remember going against these other athletes. In fact, I had to learn, I had to practice how to throw an alley-oop because I'd never have players that could dunk. And there's four or five of them that there's a play specifically designed. You're going, I, I, totally lost. We would condition, and we had to run a mile in five minutes and 45 seconds. And I was trying to keep up with the other guards, and I was so determined to keep up with them that I exhausted myself. I'd never run like that, and I passed out. I I actually fell. The only thing I remember was hitting the bar with my face that was next to me, and then falling out. And the next thing you know, one of the bigs, one of the centers, is picking me up, carrying me to finish so that I could just say that I finished. We'd be in practice, and after practice, we'd have to study. They gave us binders with plays, all kinds of plays. I was utterly and completely lost. I remember leaving a practice or two going, I don't belong here. One practice, we were leaving to go shower, and uh, we had a really good team that year, my freshman year. The seniors, Stu was a senior. He was fast, he was strong. He wasn't a lot taller than me, but man, he could jump out of the gym. I'm leaving the gym, and he comes over, and he puts his arm on me. He goes, hey, Follis. I'm like, I didn't even know you guys knew my name. I just thought I was like a tackling dummy. He goes, hey, why don't you come to church Sunday? I go, I don't need church, man. I need to know how to run these plays. I need to know how to make these legs faster. I need to know how to jump. I need to know how to shoot better. I don't need church. Stu's like, come to church, man. So I get in with him and his girlfriend at the time and uh, a couple other, the upperclassmen. They took me to church. We get to church and that church, what I would inspire even for us, and I know everything's on technology, but the pastor right away, he goes, all right, get out your Bibles. And everybody, boom, they flip them open and Stu and his girlfriend and I'm a preacher's getting I'm like, oh, I forgot my Bible. I don't even have a phone I can fake it on. You know, that was a flip phone thing that day, right? Had church, went out to eat. They treated me like like I was human. Go to drop me off at the dorm. Um, I'm at the freshman dorm, and Stu looks at me and he goes, "You'll be fine, man. You'll be fine." I realized that was the beginning of him taking me under his wing in some capacity at practice and things, and he was always open to my questions. I didn't feel lost anymore. Church, the thing is, is that you've got to pursue people that are lost. They don't readily come out and tell you. Your kids aren't always going to come downstairs out of their room and tell you, man, I'm freaking out. Your spouse isn't always going to say, I'm really struggling. They may be snippy with you and you try to go ahead and make some space rather than leaning into that dark space and saying, I don't know what's going on. That's what we're called to do. So many people today, I just stay in my lane. I just stay in my lane. I just stay in my lane. There's a hurting world all around us. Now, if you're here this morning and you go, I don't know anybody that's really lost, then I got to ask you, your head is still tunnel visioned. You're not looking. Finding the lost is like sitting in a boat out in the middle of the ocean and jumping out and saying you're not going to hit the water. It's pretty crazy right now. And when I ask you to find the lost, I'm not asking you to be a soldier to go put them down under the thumb of Jesus Christ. That is not your job. Jesus says, just go. I'll give you the words. I will make you my instrument. I've put you in such a place, in such a time as this. Now I got news for you. If you think that that's hard, then there's a part of you that might be lost. I don't know if I can do that. My question is, where in your life are you anxious? If you're on shifting ground, that's why you're not sure you can help somebody on solid ground. Put your feet on something that is a sure foundation. Get close and intimate with Jesus Christ. Have your own mentors, the people that you lean on. Be transparent with others. But trust me, once you start to figure out where your faith fits, you will see the world and you'll find the people who aren't going to come out and tell you that they got a lot going on in their lives, but you might very well be the person who can change their attitude, their perspective and persuade them to just hear the gospel. For Stuart was inviting me to church. For you, maybe it's inviting somebody to church. Maybe it's just telling somebody I'd like to pray for you. Maybe it's just putting your hand over them because their head is down and you know something's going on. And there's a tinge in your heart that won't let you just walk by. You can put your name and place the Sauls up there. This is my chosen instrument to take my message, to share my love, my grace with the lost. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people just like you.